0: Uh, So this is the last in our uh, Jesus uh, January's sermon, Sunday sermons. Uh, Next Sunday it's going to be February and the focus changes. We're into faith February and uh, if you stick with us, uh, then once spring's starting to come, the daffodils are up, we'll have reached Mission March. Uh, So far in January we've tracked Jesus through his life, starting when he was a child, then into his adult ministry when uh, Simon spoke, and then his resurrection last week. And today, well, today, what happened next after the resurrection? Because clearly Jesus isn't walking around in Israel uh, today. Nobody's ever pointed out that there's a gravestone somewhere in Israel that says, here lies Jesus of Nazareth. So what happened next? Once his earthly life ended, once resurrection happened, what happened next? And why does it matter? The straightforward answer is, of course, the ascension. We just heard that just now. It was the story that uh, Dorothy read to us from Acts. Jesus ascends to heaven where he returns to the Father, to his his Father's home in heaven. And in Mark's Gospel, we get uh, the same story, but with even more detail. At the very end of Mark's Gospel, Mark writes, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And I, I can't help imagining Jesus kind of pulling up a chair, throne maybe next to his father sitting back, alright dad the father replying welcome home son, good job but why does that matter? why does it matter what happens to Jesus after the resurrection and after the ascension and, and to, to kind of engage with that question we're going to spend a few moments now with that gospel reading that we heard from John chapter 14 and two things in particular two sentences, two phrases in particular The first, whoever has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. And then the second, this short phrase, the Father who dwells in me. And I want to focus particularly on that word, dwells, which is a wonderful word. And together, I think that these two extraordinary, revolutionary, life-altering phrases open up the heart of what it is to be a disciple. What it is to be a Christian. So, first then. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is verses 8 and 9. Jesus' friend Philip asks him a question. Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Now, who who doesn't want to be satisfied in life? And who doesn't want that sense of fulfillment or of completeness? Like life is whole and good. You know, that feeling of sitting back at the end of a really great meal satisfied, or like someone getting to the end of a good life, well-lived, satisfied. And that's, that's what Philip's after too. And he knows he's wise enough, he's spent enough time with Jesus to know that only God can provide that kind of satisfaction. Show us the Father, Lord, and we will be satisfied. That's an astonishing claim that he hears back from Jesus. Jesus who says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That is an astonishing claim. It's easy for us just to let that. I mean, we know who Jesus is. Of course we do. But, but to say that, to, I mean, for Philip, that was an astonishing claim. Remember in the Old Testament, it was impossible to see God's face and to live. In Exodus, God says very directly to Moses, he says, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. In fact, uh, Moses says, can I see your face, please? And uh, God says, no, because then you'll die. And he he says, I'll give you the the next best thing. And he covers Moses' eyes and he passes by and he, he takes his hand away from Moses' eyes once he's gone by so that Moses can see him but only his back. Because otherwise, if he'd seen his face, Moses would have died. And now Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. It's an astonishing claim for Jesus to make. God now has a human face, He's got a face with laughter lines around the eyes, cheeks which have felt tears, a mouth that knows the joy of belting out a great tune. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen Jesus, then you know God face to face. And we know, don't we, that facial expression, uh, that they really matter, that they're as important, perhaps more important than the words that we actually say when we're communicating. In Jesus, we get to see God face to face. God is not far away. He's not distant and remote. He's not terrifyingly judgmental. He's not locked away in his heavenly study where we might be called from time to time for a telling off. He is knowable. He is in Jesus because whoever has seen Jesus has seen the Father. And that's true for us too. We get to see Jesus too. So we get to see the Father too. It's not just Philip and the disciples. We see the face of Jesus in prayer In scripture, and especially, above all, when we serve other people, above all, when we serve those who are most vulnerable and most needy. Mother Teresa famously gave her life to God, having heard the words, Whatever you do for one of the least of these, you did for me. Jesus' words. She encouraged her sisters living and serving and working in the harshest and most traumatic of circumstances to seek the face of Jesus in the face of every person that they were caring for. That's our call, too, to seek the face of Jesus in the world that he loves. For in doing so, we might just see God face to face. So here's a question for you. Where would you look for Jesus this week? For in looking, you might just come face to face with God. Okay, that may be enough. Just feel free to head off into that question if you need. But, but if, if you want to stick with me. Here's, here's the second phrase. The Father who dwells in me, says Jesus. He's talking about the Father, he says, who dwells in me. That word dwell, I just want to reflect on that. Early on in uh, John's Gospel, this is in chapter 138, uh, two of John the Baptist's friends, two of his disciples, They're they're chatting to John the Baptist. They see Jesus walking by. John says, there goes the Lamb of God. And the two disciples set off to follow him. And Jesus must have heard their footsteps or something. He turns around and he sees them. And he says, what are you looking for? And they answer, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus replies, come and see. It's It's a simple exchange. And it's the most beautiful invitation ever issued. What are you looking for? Would you like to find the answer? Would you like the response to your deepest questions? Would you like your greatest struggles to be resolved? Would you like to know what lies at the heart of everything? Would you like to come and see where Jesus is staying? And in a sense, the whole of John's Gospel, which is the the richest and the, the most profound of all the Gospels, the whole of John's Gospel is that same invitation to come and see where Jesus is at home and then to discover that you are invited to move in too. And, and that invitation very often is expressed through this word dwell. In John's Gospel, Jesus uses it a lot and it's a beautiful word, to dwell. He uses, there's another, another word that he uses from the same Greek word, to abide. To dwell or to abide, beautiful words. To dwell means to be at home, to be safe, to be comfortable, to be in a place that feels right, that's homely. Think warmth, think permanence, think deep roots. And John's Gospel starts very early on with that word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus has come to dwell with us, to live with us, to live as us. And then a bit later on, just before the words that we heard uh, today from the Gospel. You'll know these words well. This is chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, in my Father's house there are many rooms, or in the older translations, there are many dwelling places. Jesus has come to dwell with us, and we are invited now to move in and to dwell with him in his Father's generous and spacious house. And now in the verse that we've just read, it turns out that the Father also dwells in Jesus. The Father who dwells in me, says Jesus. Put that all together, and maybe it looks a bit like this. Jesus moves into our lives so that he can open the door to his Father's house where he already dwells and where we are welcome. We are invited to be at home with Jesus in his Father's house, even while we're here on earth. I find that mind-blowingly beautiful this glorious tangle of dwelling. Jesus with us, us in Jesus, Jesus with the Father, the Father in Jesus, us in the Father, dwelling and abiding, known and loved and at home. Come and see where Jesus lives because there's a room there for you. The bed is made, there's food on the table. This is God's house and now it's yours too. Come, be at home. You are so welcome. What does all that mean for us day to day? I mean, this is profound stuff, hard to really get our heads around. We're not meant to get our heads around it. We're meant to get our hearts around it. What, what might it mean for us when we leave here? What do those two phrases mean as we try to live like Jesus in everyday life? Here are three three things. First of all, it means that God really is available. In Jesus, at his ascension, God has made the divine life, the very life of God, the love that beats at the heart of everything, available to us. So never believe the voice that says, God has forgotten you, that God's given up on you that God's not there. You are never abandoned. You are never alone. There is never a moment, not a second, when the beautiful, loving face of God is not looking at you. Second, it means that if you choose to follow Jesus, you are at home in God. You are safe. You are secure. You are rooted wherever you are, whatever's going on. Jesus has moved into your life and has thrown open the door to invite you in and his home is the Father's home. Heaven is here, so trust him and rely on him and be at home in him. Learn his ways. Get to know the place. Move in. Be at home in God. Third, As disciples of Jesus who are called to be at home with him, we've got a job to do, which is to help others to be just as at home in an anxious world where so many people feel homeless. And that might be through practical support to someone who's struggling. It might be an invitation to talk about the questions of life or death, God and faith. It might be a listening ear. It might be a couple of quid. It might be more than a couple of quid. It might be a story shared about how God has helped you or whatever When we've been offered a beautiful home to move into, of course, of course our job is to invite others too. In our Father's house, there are many dwelling places and everyone is welcome. Let me finish with a a story about a a beautiful Christian community uh, which I've come across, which I think embodies these two phrases that we've been looking at. The communities in uh, Philadelphia in America, this a true place, uh, this community Uh, Philadelphia is a a poor city Uh, it all started when a group of homeless families moved into an abandoned church building and when they were threatened with eviction, they hung a banner outside this church it said, how can we worship a homeless man on Sunday and ignore one on Monday and they gave a press conference and they said, it's okay, we've spoken to the real owner capital O he said we could stay And they did. And that was the start of this community, the Simple Way community. And they moved into this building permanently in the midst of a neighborhood that had lost hope. And they opened their doors and they invited people to share food. And they started making the streets beautiful. And they opened their Bibles and they prayed together and they dug gardens and they grew food. And they did it all with their neighbors. They moved into the neighborhood. They built a home with Jesus. They invited others in and they changed lives. That's what being at home with Jesus looks like in Philadelphia. And I wonder, what does it look like for you here? Jesus asked, what are you looking for? And they said, teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus replied, come and see. And then in my father's house, there are many rooms. And there's one for you too. There's one for everyone. Amen.